When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hey everyone, it's Josh, and for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen a partial history of action figures, our episode from November 2016. And it is a really, really in-depth look at action figures. I mean, we talk about different types of plastic molding, for goodness sake. But it's also chock full with nostalgia and good feelings and lots of warm memories between me and Chuck about our childhoods playing with action figures. So I hope you enjoy it. We certainly did. So you should, too. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And Jerry's right there to my immediate right. And that makes this Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. The podcast. That's right. I'm excited about this particular podcast, Chuck, which oh, yeah? you put together. This episode, I should say. Well, do you want to go ahead and announce the title for the people that maybe didn't read it? <laughs> it is, uh, well, uh, you, you, you're going to select the title. What's the title? Oh, geez, I don't know. Um, everything you ever wanted to know about, ac- actually, some stuff about action figures that you may already know. <laughs> <laughs> and some stuff that may delight you. What? That's a working title, huh? Yeah. Yeah, but we're talking about action figures. That's the point of, of what I think that exercise just was. Yeah, I was going to say everything you wanted to know, but this, I mean, we could do, there, I'm sure there are entire podcasts on action yeah, figures. for sure. Yeah, and if you do, if you have a podcast on action figures, write in, let us know. We'll we'll tweet it out for the people whose boat this floated. That's and right. And this, this one definitely follows in the vein of um, the Barbie episode, which... I have to say, is one of my perennial favorites. I love the Barbie episode. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and Barbie actually makes an appearance in this one. Do you like to play with dolls? Uh, I like to play with action figures. I play with Barbies. I had older <laughs> sisters, so like I was, I play with Barbies whether I wanted to or not, so I made the most of it. Yeah, my, I, don't, my, I don't remember my sister having Barbies, but surely she did, right? Yeah, if she was a girl in America from the 60s on, yes, yeah, she had a Barbie. Oh, no, my sister grew up in the Soviet Union. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> she had um, a Martina. <laughs> there probably was a Martina. But, I mean, that was a pretty good episode, and this one's kind of similar. It's It's got it all. And like I said, Barbie kind of pops up in the beginning. She actually inspired action figures, um, uh, like, basically directly. When When Mattel, I think it was Ruth Handler who invented the Barbie doll, right? Yes. And when she 
when she and Mattel released it, it was just a huge, enormous hit. And one of the big reasons Barbie was, number one, such a hit, and number two, so appealing to toy companies, was that when you bought a Barbie, your buying experience wasn't over. There were always, like, more clothes and shoes. And, like, my sister had the pool that you could hang out with, and it had, like, a shower that actually worked. There's just a ton of extra stuff to buy. And so... When you bought a Barbie, you wanted all the other stuff, too. And toy companies wanted to figure out how to do that with boys' toys, but they just couldn't quite figure it out because no one had ever come up with a doll for boys. And that's kind of what it required, is coming up with a doll for boys. And no one had cracked that nut. But Barbie made the whole thing all the more appealing, I guess. Yeah, finally, this dude named uh, Stan Weston, who actually knew Miss Handler, Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a, a in the toy racket, and um, I guess I shouldn't call it a racket. <laughs> it's a bit of a racket. It's a bit of a racket. So he said, like you were talking about, like you know, there's tons of money to be made here. Uh, he was a, a military history buff, mm-hmm. and so he had this, you know, the light bulb went off over his head, and he says, "What if we could come up with a soldier doll, or perhaps even a series of soldier dolls?" Uh, and maybe not call them dolls. Yeah, Actually, that was a big one. He didn't. He didn't come up with the the name. Uh, to be fair, his uh, boss at Hasbro, uh, VP Don Levine or Levine, uh, in 1963, he was pitched this idea, and he went nuts over it. And he's the one that said maybe we should call them action figures. Right. Yeah. Stan Weston approached. Um, uh Don, yeah, Don Levine at like that toy fair and said, I got a great idea. And apparently he gave him $100,000 just for the idea. And then he, he, since he worked with Hasbro, he's like, guys, I've, I've got a good idea here. So that roughly translates into about $782,000 <laughs> in today money, which is good dough for an idea. But of course, yeah. anytime you're the schmuck that comes up with the idea that you sell for even 782 grand and it right. goes on to be like hundreds of millions of dollar business you probably always kind of feel like oh, i got taken for a ride <laughs> a little bit i'm sure stan weston was like i'll have millions of good ideas like these that i can sell for seven hundred and eighty thousand dollars a piece i'm sure he may have yeah i don't know it's <laughs> certainly not one like gi joe right well that's what we've been talking about we've talked about gi joe a lot on the show so uh, it feels appropriate that we sort of uh, go down that rabbit hole if we're going to be talking about action figures. Well, so well, yeah, because GI Joe was the one that started, literally started the action figure craze. Every action figure that's out there, from like um, Action Jesus to um, to the Marvel superhero action figures, every action figure came from GI Joe and. If you want to get feminist about it, every action figure, including G.I. Joe, ultimately came from Barbie. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So, uh, all right, here's a deal that I never knew. G.I. Joe uh, debuted in 1964 before Christmas. It's almost as if they had planned that. Uh, the original, I knew all this stuff. The original was 12 inches and had 21 moving parts. And the thing I did not know uh, was that G.I. Joe was the collective name of all four of these Armed Forces dolls. You didn't know that? I thought the guy was Joe. No, the, the, for my era, the, guy, the main guy was Duke. And for your era, the main guy was Rocky. Well, it depends on which one you had. Okay. So there was, there was Rocky was 
the Army and the Marines. <laughs> Skip, <laughs> Skip was the Navy guy, and Ace was the Air Force guy, the fighter pilot. Right, so they, they ran out of names after name three. And they ran circled, out of, back, circled back to Rocky. They ran out of names, and they all were identical, except for their clothing. Yeah. As far well, as I know, right? Didn't, wasn't their head different? Oh, or I don't was know. It the same, was it the same face for each one? It was literally just their clothes were different. You know, I don't know. I, I'm going for my own memory, which is that they were all the same dude, and they were all Frank O'Harris. Well, no. Well, they came up with an African American one at one point in like well, the sure. late '60s, I think. Yeah, yeah. They changed with the times, but uh, to my recollection, those original dudes, and maybe I got in on the second wave. Maybe the original '60s ones were different, but I only knew Franco Harris. I got you. So maybe I just had Rocky. <laughs> maybe so, Rocky or Rocky? Which one? Yeah, I had Rocky, <laughs> not Rocky. <laughs> so, um. They they come out with this this toy and it's the first one of the big differences with GI Joe because there were toy soldiers before but did you ever have those like little plastic ones the little plastic green men where you dump them out of the bucket and one had a bazooka and he was always the best one yeah and but but they were on like little molded plastic stands and you you couldn't do anything with them except slide them around or whatever those have been around forever right? well you could do a lot more with them if you had imagination. And a, a lighter and a can of hairspray. <laughs> Actually, I was delighted. It, it was Toy Story, right? Where they had those those guys come to life. Right. Uh, that was like really really cool to me when I saw that on screen. Uh, these because you, you know, like you said, you could never move them. So right. to see those little dudes actually come to life was pretty pretty awesome. You were like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I've been dreaming of this day. I kind of was. <laughs> Thank you, DreamWorks. Oh, that's where they got the name. Was it DreamWorks or was that uh, Pixar? It was Pixar, right? Probably. I got it wrong. That's all right. It's 100% Pixar. We're still going to get emails anyway, even though we just corrected. They're, they're all working dreams. <laughs> they are. So um, I read this great article called, uh, oh, geez, what was it called? Uh, now, you, now you know the history of G.I. Joe and knowing it is half the battle from Smithsonian.com. Yeah. Written by Jimmy Stamp. Was that his name? Mm-hmm. The Stamper? <laughs> the stampster. <laughs> so um, I didn't realize this, but uh, you can't you can't copyright a a, a a figure like a human figure. So that was sort of an issue when people started to do knockoffs of GI Joe. But apparently, early on in the process, GI Joe was well known for that scar on his face. And I didn't even know this. He had an inverted thumbnail, mm-hmm. and both of these were because of uh, errors in production. But those flaws were what allowed them to go after people uh, for copyright infringement. That's right. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. Um, and yeah, I guess they were they were natural, like they didn't plan them or anything like that. But they just were happy accidents, I guess. Yeah. Um, and actually, I read also elsewhere, Chuck, that um, GI Joe was so successful, as we'll see, that by the seventies um, there were so many knockoffs that Hasbro released its own line of knockoffs of cheaply made G.I. Joes to compete with the knockoffs and and dilute their market share. Yeah, it was called Defenders. And there were just these really cheaply made versions of the big G.I. Joes. Well, it it was a huge hit, though. Um, It says here that they accounted for almost 66% of Hasbro's profits in 1964. That's insane. That is nuts. 
And that was the year it came out, right? Yeah, like right out of the gate, it was a really big deal. And uh, again, one of the reasons why was because you had toy soldiers before, but this guy could move. He had, I think, like 20, 28 or 29 moving parts um, or different parts. And he was articulated so he could lift up his hand and karate chop you, although he didn't get the kung fu grip until the, the mid-70s. Yeah, that's where I came in. Okay. Uh, so he had kung fu grip when you knew G.I. Joe? Uh, yeah, very much. Gotcha. It was so uh, kung fu. <laughs> right. But he still looked like Franco Harris. But he still looked like Franco Harris, yes. And then the other big innovation was the was not an innovation at all. It was following the Barbie model. But for boys, it was. It was that the, this this doll, which no one called a doll. In fact, um, I believe Hasbro wouldn't do business with you if you were going to call it a doll as a retailer. They would just be like, well, you don't get any G.I. Joes. This is an action figure. That's right. But on the package itself, and I don't know if you remember this or not, um, I don't because I wasn't born yet, but there were pictures of the other dudes and the other outfits you could get. So when you bought one G.I. Joe, you as a kid were made immediately aware, whoa, 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 there's other G.I. Joes out there and I want to collect them all. Some little kid came up with that collect them all phrase just in his little brain. Yeah, some little kid named middle-aged marketing executive. <laughs> Don Levine. <laughs> so uh, not only that, but they had, you know, like Barbie, they had all manner of um, other uh, things that you could collect and buy. Um, I had the I had the jetpack, which um, nice. you would attach to a string to simulate jetpacking and send flying, oh. like, between two trees. Gotcha. Uh, and then I had the uh, the submarine. It was like a sea wolf. It was really cool. How big was the submarine if you were playing with 12-inch G.I. Joes? It was, um... Did it take up the size of, like, the family room? It was, well, this is not going to mean anything to anyone at home, but it's about the size of this lamp on our desk. Oh, oh. <laughs> so it was like a one-man sub? Yeah, I feel like it was... I can't remember exactly. I feel, I feel like it was about the size of a... A little smaller than a bowling ball. Mm-hmm. How's mm-hmm. that? Like a child's bowling ball. Yeah, because he had to sit in it. You're right, and he was a big dude, even though you would, you know, in a seated position, he was smaller. Uh, and then I had the uh, six wheel or eight wheel. I can't remember uh, all terrain vehicle. Well, that's nice. And that's about all that we were. Uh, that's about all we could afford. <laughs> that's, but that was probably quite an outlay from your parents. No, you know? it was great, and, and that was over time. You know, right? Several Christmases, right? Yeah, and this was like I said, I came in on the '70s, but. Um, in the 60s, they actually, uh, G.I. Joe did not do very well because of the Vietnam War. Yeah. Um, and it was actually kind of, I think it was actually went away from production for a while. Yeah, it did. They just, they basically retired them. I think the Vietnam War uh, hurt sales, so they took them out a little bit. And then they re-released them again um, and kind of rebranded them, I think, too, as rather rather than a soldier they rebranded him as an adventurer, right? So yeah, totally. This, this machete's not for cutting off the hands of a, a Sherpa who leads us into danger. It's for, um, you know, cutting through vegetation and on a jungle adventure to save Sherpas who, are, for some <laughs> reason, live in the jungle now. Yeah, and they, they like you said, they called him adventurer or the uh, naval officer was uh, called an aquanaut. And th- I very much remember that being the deal like i didn't think of him as a soldier i thought of him as you know well i thought his name was joe because i guess i was a dumb little kid (laughs) but i guess rocky the gi joe adventure guy right 
slash Franco Harris. Right. And G.I. Joe, actually, it was taken from a 1945 movie called The Story of G.I. Joe. That's where that came from. Did you ever see that? <laughs> no. No. Have you? No. Oh, okay. I was just curious. So, Chuck, G.I. Joe, is uh, he starts to do kind of poorly because of Vietnam. They take him out. They re-release him. Um, and he doesn't do very well when they bring him back out, even though he's an adventurer, right? Um, so G.I. Joe left. They stopped making G.I. Joes for a while, and it, it created, it left this big vacuum that was just waiting to be filled, and it was filled by a little company named Mego, and we'll talk about Mego after this break. How about that? Sounds good. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey everybody, if you're building a deck at work and you want to supercharge it, check out Canva presentations. Work docs have been the same for too long, but Canva docs are different. They're visual. They grab readers' attention with images, charts, tables, and videos playable right in the doc. Plus, docs don't have to be just words on a page. You can make your docs pop with Canva docs. 
That's right. And Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, HR, ops, marketing, and more, Canva presentations can be the solution for you. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Canva presentations might be the most visually impressive presentations you'll ever use. Start with a stunning template, use it as a springboard for your design, adding images, graphics, charts, data visualizations, all from a massive media library. It's super easy to wow any audience with Canva presentations. So start designing today at canva.com, designed for work. That's C-A-N-V-A dot com. All right, is it Mego or Mego? I've been saying Mego in my head just because I'm a dumb American. No, well, I think Mego is probably how they say it in the UK. Oh, was that where it came from? No, they're American. I say Mego. <laughs> to be honest, I have no idea. I, I'm sure there is a right way that Tommy Mego would love to tell you about, but uh-huh. or Tommy Mego. Uh, but yeah, I, I've said I've said Mego in my head. But I don't know which one's correct, to tell you the truth. All right. Well, we'll just proceed thusly. I'll say Mego, you say Mego. <laughs> Let's just call the whole thing <laughs> off. So go ahead with Mego. So, <laughs> so um, G.I. Joe's gone. But Sad. again, this was you said it accounted for like 66% of Hasbro's sales just in the first year. And he was a hit year after year after year for many years. Right, um, and even when they brought them back, sales were terrible compared to the initial stuff. But they were still making money off of them, right? Um, so, this first, the world's first action figure, made a huge impact. And when the world's first action figure wasn't around anymore, well, there was a, a void that was to be filled. And this company called Mego decided, in I think 1971 or 1972, that a pretty good place to start would be releasing a line of action figures that were based on superheroes. And they released a, um, a line of superheroes called the World's Greatest Superheroes Action Figures in, I think, 1972. And it was a pretty big hit, like, right off the bat. Yeah, and what they did was uh, they were super smart and kind of had a lot of vision and said, I think where it's at is not necessarily creating characters from whole cloth that kids don't know of, <clears throat> but licensing very famous characters and selling them. So they got a hold of licenses for uh, Spider-Man and the Hulk and Batman and Wonder Woman and Iron Man and Captain America. Yeah, and not just, yeah, if you'll notice, it's DC and Marvel characters in the same line. Like, that's unheard of today. They did not discriminate back then. <laughs> no, they did It was a wonderful time. Uh, and not only that, but they said, you know, we're making money hand over fist selling these action figures. Um, what if, do you think kids would actually buy villains like the Joker, and uh, do you think they would buy side characters like uh, Robin and Batgirl and other villains like the Riddler and things like the Batmobile and the Batcave playset? Mm -hmm. And before you knew it, they were pumping out things like uh, Bruce Wayne's uh, foundation building. <laughs> I know that was a real thing. <laughs> or what was the other weird one, the store? Oh, they had they had an exclusive with the Montgomery Ward store. <laughs> so it wasn't like it wasn't a store, but at the at Montgomery Ward only. Oh. You could buy the non superhero versions of superheroes like Peter Parker gotcha. and Bruce Wayne, which is like 
All right, you you sit there in your cubicle, and that's what you do while the rest of us are saving the world. That's what you do with that action figure. All right, that makes much more sense. I thought yeah. they had a Montgomery Ward playset. That's what I thought at first too. And like Bruce Wayne worked there or something, which <laughs> right. of course he didn't even work. I don't know what I'm thinking. No, he so just they, gave orders. <laughs> they were making tons and tons of money. Um, in 1973, they moved into movies with their Planet of the Apes line, which was uh, some plastic uh, primates, and then the astronaut that was taller, mm-hmm. and that was a huge hit. Yeah, and the other thing about Mego too um, was that all action figures had been like 12 inch tall, 12 inches tall up to that point, and Mego's line was eight inches. So action figures are starting to shrink a little bit now. That's right. Uh, and the one, uh, the one I actually had, even though I have no idea why, I had the Star Trek um, Enterprise bridge. Oh, yeah? And then, I guess, I mean, I know I had Spock and Kirk and a couple of others, but, you know, I'm, I'm well known to not have ever seen any Star Trek at all, <laughs> right. except for maybe a, a one movie or something. So I have no idea why I got that. Oh, uh, I mean... If it was a cool action figure, like I, I had some weird. weird, I had a weird wizard action figure t- when I was a kid. And but you're into weird wizards. You still but, are. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, well, I am now as a grown up. I wasn't as a kid. Oh, I was okay. like, what is this thing? Gotcha. Some weird wizard. Well, I don't know why I had it, but the Star Trek, uh, the, their collection, that was another big hit. So they were just, they literally kind of, uh, I mean, G.I. Joe and Barbie, of course, kind of spawned this thing. But it seems like Mego really took it to another level. Yeah, yeah. Um, they kind of, uh, they kind of, yeah. Action figures were cool, and GI Joe had really started something. But Mego, um, yeah, they they just they established it forever, permanently. And they also showed other companies too, like, hey man, go get yourself a license. And stick to it. Like, get creative. Like, with the Star Trek license that they had, clearly the toy designers had actually watched Star Trek episodes because one of the play sets was from um, one of the sets from an episode of Star Trek, the Apple episode. Um, like, you don't necessarily see that. Or you didn't see that before with action figures. It was more like, hey, you, you, you know this guy. Just buy him. This was like... You're into Star Trek, and so are we. And here is some awesome playsets based on your love of Star Trek. So Miko definitely broke the mold in that in that sense as well. Um, but they also, like, they were it for action figures. Like, nobody could compete with Miko. Um, they would buy stuff from Japan and then turn them into new stuff here. Um, there was just no competing with Miko in the U.S., even though a lot of people were. But they um, they also dropped the ball in the most spectacular fashion anyone could ever drop the ball in the action figure world. Yeah. Like they, it's, it's almost, it's almost an elegant end of the story because it literally makes you cringe when you read it. And there's two different versions, but both of them are like, Oh man. Yeah. I think there's really only one version. I literally could not find a single source other than this one guy's blog uh-huh. who claimed the other version. But, um, what we're talking about, and if you know action figures, you probably see this coming. Uh, they declined the Star Wars brand yep. and allowed Kenner to pick it up. Yes. So how, though? Which story is true? Well, the story that I think is true is that they 
didn't want to invest and they said that you know we're not going to throw our money at every little thing that comes along we okay, want to so, be a little more discerning yeah that one hurts that hurts more than the other story the other version was that like um the people who could sign the contracts were out of town when george lucas came by to offer him the franchise and now that i'm saying it out loud like yes that's a ridiculously dumb story yeah them actually turning down the star wars line is it's even better it's even sweeter like man what were you guys thinking? But, I mean, uh, there, there's lots of stories like that. Just somebody lacking foresight. Yeah, the um, the other story is completed by the, supposedly they weren't there, so Lucas went to another, uh, to, went to Kenner, who was in the same building right. in New York, and I guess the people that could sign their name were there. Right. Uh, but I can't find that anywhere else except for this one blog where this guy says it's true, but I would love to hear from someone if they if they have inside, like, verifiable knowledge of that. Oh, for sure. George Lucas, just let us know. And I mean verifiable, not, yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> I read the same blog. <laughs> exactly. I knew your nerd voice was going to come up in this episode. Well, sure, of course. Um, so if you if you have a love of Mego or you just want to know what we're talking about, also go check out um, the Mego Museum online, M-E-G-O Museum, and it's just basically like this wonderful online museum dedicated to everything that Mego ever put out. It's pretty cool. I, I wasn't even around when these things came out, and they still somehow make me nostalgic, you know? Exactly. All right, so uh, let's jump back a little bit to 1966, and um, we're going to explain how they went from 8 inches, even though they were still making the 8 inches after 66, how they eventually got down to the 3 and 3 quarters inch. Uh, G.I. Joe was licensing their stuff out to other countries. All over the place. There was a UK company uh, who released it under the name Action Man. Uh, and eventually they licensed it to Japan, to a company called Takara. Uh, they went on to create some action figures based on G.I. Joe. And then due to the oil crisis in the early 70s, they started developing smaller versions. Uh, so at three and three quarters inches, they developed Microman, uh, released him in 1974. And that kind of led to this new thing, which was smaller dudes. Three, and, and kids didn't care. No, no. Not only did we not care, so now we're starting to enter my wheelhouse. Not only did we not care, these smaller ones are vastly superior to the older ones. Oh, you think? <laughs> yeah. So we Have agree on a lot of stuff. <laughs> but I would say this is the, the, the one thing that divides us more frequently than anything else is whether the original big G.I. Joes or the second wave small G.I. Joes are better. All right, let me ask you, sir. Have you ever held in your hands and played with a 12-inch G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip? I would, uh, would not touch one. So, so you can't even say then. <laughs> Have you played with the small one? Yeah, man, I had tons of small action figures. Oh, okay, all right. Oh, did you have the Star Wars stuff? Oh, yeah. So you think the big one's superior? Well, yeah, it's 12 inches. It's, it articulates 19 different ways. <laughs> <laughs> I like the small ones. I always will. Even after playing with the big one, which I have not and never will, I just know that the small one is, is vastly superior. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because I am nostalgic for the small ones and oh. the old ones seem weird and dusty and moldy <laughs> or something like that, but <laughs> the small ones seem better to me. All right. At, at the very least, you have, to, uh, you have to admit, the wave of G.I. Joes that were released when I started playing with them, just the line itself was better 
regardless of the size of them, right? There well, let's go ahead so and talk about that. Thought. Because G.I. Joe changed a lot um, once it became a cartoon. And we're going to talk about some really cool political stuff that had no idea went into this. But um, G.I. Joe became a cartoon series. This was in the early 80s. So this is when I had kind of quit playing with action figures for the most part. Okay. Because 83, 84, I was like 13 and, you know, mm-hmm. I was moving like, on to, you know. Check out this mustache. Yeah, I was I was skateboarding by that point, And I thought okay. I was like super cool skateboarder. Yeah. Uh, maybe I still played a little bit. So but just, <laughs> your, only your neighborhood best friend knew about it. Your school friends didn't. Exactly. Uh, so G.I. Joe was a cartoon. Uh, then they, for the first time, basically it became a, a commando team, an anti-terrorist commando team that had all kinds of characters, and they had finally had a common enemy, which was, of course, Cobra. Yes, led by Cobra Commander. And this was your right in your wheelhouse, correct? Yeah, so in 1983, I was... Like seven, so yeah, this was. I was really just primed and ready. Yeah, I would just yeah, let's go, Joe. And yeah. plus, also the other thing too that I had that you didn't have was the cartoon that not only like blew up the backstories because each this new wave of GI Joe when they released it, um, they each character now had its own name and it wasn't Rocky or Rocky. It was things like um, Duke or Shipwreck or Blowtorch or Barbecue or Dusty. Um, and then the bad guys had their own their own names too, like Cobra Commander, Serpentor, <laughs> Tomax or Zamot um, or uh, the whole the who, whole gang, who, right? Tochis? Who was that? Tomax and Zamot. They were evil twins who were – they were basically – they were like um, – if uh, if Cobra Commander had hired uh, Patrick Bateman oh, and yeah. then cloned him, a mere version of him, it would be Tomax and Zamot. Interesting. I mean, it, it I know none of this stuff. Right, right. Okay, so I do because I grew up with it. Well, yeah. But but I also had it pounded into my head every day after school watching the G.I. Joe cartoon. And that was the huge innovation that really just created this uh, this other world for kids like me to just lose yourself in with the action figures. Because now you didn't even need to use your imagination. You could just be like, oh, I saw this on the G.I. Joe cartoon today, so let's act that out. Right, and none of this would have ever happened had it not been for Ronald Reagan. That's right. And that sounds weird, uh, but here's the story. So in the late 70s, there was a lot of concern about kids uh, and advertising, about advertising to children. So the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, uh, got a task force together, and they said, should we ban or regulate this marketing to children? Uh, They put together uh, 6,000 pages of testimony from 60 – oh, the oral testimony, 60,000 pages of expert testimony Mm -hmm. uh, from all these experts on child psychology and health and nutrition because it had to do with, you know, food and sugary candies and stuff like that too. And the conclusion across the board was that – Young children cannot, they are cognitively unable to understand the the intent of selling ads. They can't distinguish that from reality. Right. Like if you dress up a cartoon as an ad, the kid is, he just thinks it's a cartoon or she does. Exactly. Or if the ad is a cartoon. Right. Rather than the kid doesn't know. They just think, I'm still watching cartoons <laughs> right. on, on my TV. 
My brain hasn't made that switch, but man, could I go for some Smurf cereal. <laughs> exactly. So it was a big deal at the time. So there were all these recommendations basically on how to regulate and restrict advertising that were that they basically said was unfair and deceptive to kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, for older kids, they said they can tell the difference, but maybe we should have in, uh, warnings on the ads and disclosures saying that this is a commercial message. Right. And so... What happens when you do this in America? The private sector said, no, 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 no. I want to be able to sell as much sugary garbage to kids as I want. You can't restrict uh, free trade free America. trade in business. Yep. And so we're going to raise uh, a record at the time, $16 million, to lobby against this. And Well, and they were helped out in no small part by getting the right guy into the White House. Right. So in 1980, one of the first things Ronald Reagan did was he appointed a new chairman of the Federal Trade Commission. And this, uh, this was a move that basically said, you know what, there is going to be no regulation whatsoever. Got to leave these markets free. You can mm-hmm. do whatever you want. Uh, and that is basically how all of these cartoons were born. Right. G.I. Yeah. Joe, Transformers, Smurfs, Care Bears, Care Bears. Rainbow Bright. Strawberry like, shortcake. Yeah, you name it. it. It basically became marketing and selling things and cartoons became one and the same, finally. Yeah, and one of the other things that definitely helped G.I. Joe, too, was the, um, I don't know if it was formal or informal, but there was basically a ban on um, on warlike cartoons and warlike toys Yes, that was brought back under the same ease of restrictions by the FTC um, so that I think the percentage of warlike toys that was sold in the early 80s went up like 350% from one year over the other. Yeah. From like 1983 to 84, I think. Um, whereas before it was like, no, we don't... G.I. Joe's an adventurer, remember? It's like, no, G.I. Joe's going to cut Cobra's head right off. <laughs> so that's in 1980. That's one of, the first, uh, one of the first big things Reagan did when he got into office. Uh, flash forward to 1988 in November... One of the last things he did was he vetoed a new measure because basically they saw what was happening. All of a sudden, kids were being bombarded with war cartoons and uh, just terrible sugary packaged food mm-hmm. all over the place. Like, just the restrictions were, were nowhere to be found. Right. So uh, Congress came back and said, you know what? This is out of hand. Here's a measure that will uh, restrict once again and impose some, uh, some legislation on this programming aimed at children uh it passed the house by 328 to 78 passed unanimously in the senate and reagan vetoed it and said uh basically what one of the things they were trying to do they were trying to limit programming to uh advertising to 10.5 minutes an hour on the weekends and 12 minutes an hour on the weekdays and also provide uh require broadcasters to provide educational and informational programs as a condition of renewing their licenses. So Reagan vetoed that and said, no way, uh, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep it as is. Uh, people that were in favor of this went crazy, basically. They were saying, like, how can you guys say you're the the party of the children right. and education and then veto something that is clearly going to help protect our children? Yeah. That was messed up, man. I had no idea about that one. Yeah, and not only that, the uh, what happened was, along with this deregulation, um, the toy companies and the cartoons, they actually, they kind of got in bed together and they said, you know what, if you show, uh, if you schedule 
as a broadcaster um, are cartoons that sell toys will give you a profit on those toys. So nice. If, if you run these G.I. Joe cartoons, then we'll give you a little cut of what we're selling. Plus, also, we'll buy ads on those cartoons or on your network, too, to sell those those toys when you show these cartoons, I imagine. You know? Yeah. Because I remember watching G.I. Joe, uh, Real American Hero, the cartoon, which I have to say, it, it was created in in large part to sell G.I. Joe's true, but it had... It, it had great story arcs. It had overarching story arcs that went from uh, episode to episode. Uh, the individual ones were good. Like, the voice acting was good. The animation was pretty good. Same with Transformers, too. Like, it was pretty pretty good cartoon. So at least they were putting time and effort and thought into this. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty despicable marketing to kids in general. Actually, I read a blog... Um I'm certainly glad you were a satisfied viewer. <laughs> yeah. But I read this blog that basically said that, um, man, I wish I could find it. Maybe I'll post this when we release it, that, that the deregulation killed the creativity in, in children's cartoons. Well, yeah. And that they said that before you know it, there were just like things were knockoffs of one another. Mm. They didn't care about I guess, I mean, you were a kid, so maybe you didn't realize it. But I was too stupid to know what was going on. <laughs> they said that, you know, you can see a clear demarcation line between really good storytelling and then storytelling that was clearly just geared to sell things. I guess I don't, I'm trying to compare, like, what cartoons were in the 70s, and, like, they were great. They weren't high art, though. Again, I'll go back to that Hair Bear Bunch. Well, they were, loved the Hair Bears. <laughs> they were drug-fueled. <laughs> but they're, yeah, yeah, that was a big one. But their, I mean, their plots were pretty simple. It was the same plot that you would see on a Yogi Bear cartoon or like a Huckleberry Hound cartoon. Um, Scooby-Doo was interesting, and it was pretty cool, but it was basically the same storyline every single time. Like with, with Scooby-Doo, and I'm not trying to argue in favor of corporate America marketing to kids and ruining creativity, but like you don't, there weren't any overarching storylines aside from Scooby being crazy for Scooby Snacks and Scooby-Doo. And there definitely was in G.I. Joe, like when they went around the world and took the DNA of all of these great, <laughs> these great dictators and conquerors like Alexander the Great and um, Napoleon and put them all together and created Serpentor, um, who was actually the new guy who was in charge of Cobra because Cobra Commander was a bit of a coward. Uh-huh. Did you not know any of this? How do you not know this stuff? But I was I was trying to kiss girls in the roller skating rink at this I point, gotcha. and you yeah. thought girls were gross. Still, it's true. It's yeah. true. But uh, I I it definitely helped shape me, and I I am nostalgic for it in that sense, and I am appreciative. But Chuck, I propose uh -huh. that sooner than later we do an episode on marketing to kids because this whole deregulation story is just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I had I didn't really know anything about it. Because I was well, still a dumb kid when this was going on. Well, let's do it, though, okay? Agreed. So that was G.I. Joe, Shaped My Childhood. You don't um, say. <laughs> just a tad. <laughs> so, uh, but prior to G.I. Joe, the first three and three-quarter inch action figure in the U.S., as far as I know, was the Star Wars line. And the Star Wars line, again, when Mego passed it up, they quickly realized that we really screwed up. They released like a... Buck Rogers line um, and uh, a Black Hole line. Remember that movie, The Black Hole? From, I do. From Disney. It's really creepy, even still. Um, but th so they tried to catch up and they ended up going bankrupt in 1983. 
basically as a result of losing this Star Wars line. Sad. And so Kenner, <laughs> and so Kenner picked it up, picked up the Star Wars line instead, and they released them. And right out of the gate in 1978, which I believe was the first year that they released these things, this three and three quarter inch Star Wars line of action figures. Um, in 1978, 1979, they made a hundred million dollars each year from selling those. Yeah, they sold about 40 million units a year. And from 1978 to 1985, which I think was the whole run of the Star Wars lines, the original run with Kenner, Kenner sold 300 million units. So if they're selling 40 million a year and making 100 million each year from that. Yeah. They sold 300 million total. So Kenner made some serious bank off of Star Wars. Yeah, off of me and my my lawn mowing fund. Yeah. Uh for sure. I had I feel like I had at least doubles of most of the major characters, mm-hmm. many of the minor characters, uh the TIE fighter, the X-wing, the Death Star. Oh, you lucky duck. You had all those? The land speeder. Um, I also had the uh, the the big dolls. Um, I don't know if they were twelve inch, but I've, what is it with you and big dolls? Maybe ten. Man, you, they're huggable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I had the 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 big Luke and the big. I think the big Luke and the big Vader, and maybe like one other, maybe Chewbacca, mm-hmm. but not all of them. And basically, whatever I could either get for my birthday or Christmas or save my allowance to buy. Right. I would get. And I was all in. I didn't know that these were collectible, of course. I ripped right into them to play, oh, yeah. w- to play with them like normal children do. Sure. Um, I didn't put it like in a box on a shelf to try and keep it in mint condition. But yeah, that's, uh, that's weird to do, though, as a kid. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe there were kids doing it. I didn't know any. We all played with them. Sure. But, I mean, that was originally the point. I think it wasn't until like much later that it it became evident that you could sell them to people who wish they had them in the package still for a lot of money. Yeah, and should we should we close later on with the uh, some of the more valuable ones? Yes, for right. sure. So that's a tease. Okay. Everybody, should you we wanna, take a break? Yeah, we should. Was that it about Star Wars? You think? I don't have anything else really. I mean, there's. A gazillion other things we could talk about, I guess. But what more do you need to know besides that they were huge hits? That's it. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about the uh, how these things are actually made. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Hey everybody, if you're building a deck at work and you want to supercharge it, check out Canva presentations. Work docs have been the same for too long, but Canva docs are different. They're visual. They grab readers' attention with images, charts, tables, and videos playable right in the doc. Plus, docs don't have to be just words on a page. You can make your docs pop with Canva docs. That's right. And Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department, whether you work in sales, HR, ops, marketing, and more. Canva presentations can be the solution for you. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Canva presentations might be the most visually impressive presentations you'll ever use. You start with a stunning template, use it as a springboard for your design, adding images, graphics, charts, data visualizations, all from a massive media library. It's super easy to wow any audience with Canva presentations. So start designing today at canva.com, designed for work. That's C-A-N-V-A dot com. All right, so uh, just to put a little bow on the action figure thing before we get into how they're made, um, you know, Transformers came along, was huge. Throughout the 90s, then you saw uh, Marvel and DC really come on the market. Every movie you could think of had action figures. TV shows started having action figures. Uh, older, popular movies started having action figures, mm -hmm. like for nostalgia's sake. Like, I literally had... A Scarface doll. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've seen that. A Scarface Al Pacino that I used to have in the office. And, did it come um, with a mound of cocaine? Uh, it did. A plastic <laughs> mound of cocaine? <laughs> it did. Uh, and now, you know, you can find pretty much any kind of action figure you want from politicians to right. uh, older movies and TV shows and, like, things you wouldn't even imagine people would, like, Welcome Back Cotter action figures. Yeah, and I didn't realize this, but apparently companies intentionally will release like a very limited run of some where like they're missing their thumb or like it's mislabeled on the package to make these things um to make them valuable for the aftermarket the collector's market yeah which seems really untoward to me 
like gaming the the collector's market by manufacturers that's just that seems that's just the opposite of what you're supposed to do so that is that verified that sounds urban legendy to me well, it was in one of the articles you sent, and I took it. the The person who wrote the article sounded like they knew what they were talking about. Really? But was that the same article from the guy who said that? Oh, I don't know. That Kenner <laughs> couldn't sign the contracts because the right people weren't there. I don't know because the the first thing I think of is if they're doing that, then what's to keep them from artificially manufacturing something that's going to be valuable and just keeping a bunch of them themselves? Yeah. Well, most companies like money now rather than a little more money later. So that would probably do it. Yeah, that's true. You know? All right. So you want to talk about how these suckers are made? Yeah. You, you Again, you found some good stuff here when you put this together. Yeah, I thought this was pretty interesting. So, so it starts with design, right? Right. Which, I mean, it's pretty sensible. You say, uh, give us a Thor character, you sucker. And um, they're talking to an artist, a sculptor, when they say that. So the sculptor gets to work like creating um, like a, basically a skeleton. It's called armature out of wire. And the wire is in basically a position. Thor likes to run holding his hammer. So he'll be kind of like in a crouched running pose. Um, and then they slap some clay around it. Maybe bake it a little bit to make it stiff. And then they mold very, very roughly the general body shape and head shape of Thor. Um, and then they kind of start to get to work from there. Yeah, rough thorness right. <laughs> is what they look for early on. Um, right. And this, you know, it depends on the action figure. There are all different kinds that have varying levels of, uh, of movement. Mm-hmm. And depending on what you're going to end up with is really going to inform the process. Mm-hmm. But let's say you're Thor and you want to move your arms, move those big pipes a little bit. Right. Uh, they may choose to sculpt the arms separately or maybe the legs separately um they almost always do the head separately because it's got all these this fine detail and you just want to work on that by itself right and when you're when you're messing with the head you're just oh your wrist is like going into the chest that you just finished and like why do i always do this now i have to start over pretty much so they're working with this torso perhaps only put him aside work on the arms work on the hands work on the head and eventually uh, once you've got this head and face like you want it, mm-hmm. um, you're going to attach that back on, build a neck, and build some hair. And if it's one that's completely plastic, you're going to do the clothes and everything and the suit. Sometimes you have real cloth, though, like in a cape. So you're, gonna, yeah. you're not going to carve that out, obviously. No, no, they'll add that. They'll add that later. And sometimes, like an action figure, will come with like a, a breastplate or boots or Thor's hammer. Maybe they'll they gave Thor kung fu grip, so you'll have to mold that also separately. But then sometimes, and you'll know this already probably as the designer, they're going to be like, "No, we don't want any of that weird cloth. That's like a big GI Joe, and that just weirds people out. <laughs> we want it. We want it plastic and molded." So they'll they'll basically carve the uh, the clothing out of the original sculpture as well. Yeah, and this all takes about two weeks on the, uh, of course, it depends on who you're working with, but sure. two or three weeks to carve this this dude out to its kind of uh, rawest form. Yeah, I'm always incredulous of stuff like that. It's like, you know, who does it take two weeks? Is that really an average? Like, how many action figure sculptors did you pull to find out that it was two weeks? They probably just talk to someone at the company and they say, how long does it take? And they say, eh, about two weeks. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, that's good enough for me then. All right. If they, as long as they spoke to somebody. All right. So now you've got your little little dude, and uh, you're going to use a plastic resin when it comes to the actual materials of the thing itself. Uh, there's something called ABS uh, acro acrolino. <laughs> wow, I thought you I want, had it. You want me to try it? Sure. I think it's acrylonitrile butadiene styrene. ABS, nice work. Three types of plastic in one. That's right. So that's the harder plastic for the main body. Uh, they may use something like polypropylene or polyethylene for the uh, various parts or pieces. Mm -hmm. uh, you got your fabrics if you have capes and things like that. That's so weird. <laughs> well, no, I mean, even the little s small figures had, had, like the Jawas had capes. They yeah, had no, uh, I know. I, not capes, but cloaks. I know, I remember. That weirded me out, too. And I, I think, finally, I understand what it is that I don't like about the large G.I. Joes. They had fabric clothing. And the, it was ill-fitting clothing, too. Like, did you see, I don't know if you had it or not, but the original G.I. Joe, like, some of them came with a raincoat. But it didn't look like a raincoat. It looked like he was wearing a sleeping bag that had a drawstring around his face. You sure it wasn't a sleeping bag? I'm pretty sure it was supposed to be a raincoat. <laughs> but it, I think that's what it was. It was just raincoat. creepy, you know? Yeah. That was all. Yeah. I, I guess it's not actually the size. It was the, the creepy factor brought on by this clothing that didn't fit quite right. Like, you know, it was the kind of clothing that you would make for uh, the, a son who was was a serial killer, but you didn't want to turn him in, so you just keep him locked in the basement, and you got to make his own clothing. You have to make clothing for him. This is the kind of clothing <laughs> you would make him. That's, I think, what creeps me out about it. Well, you're working through some stuff, so I'll check in with you at the end. <laughs> we'll see exactly what it is you hate about the tall okay. dolls. All right, cool. Okay. So uh, the manufacturing process, you got to create the mold next. Uh, you want a master mold, or maybe it might be more than one mold. And uh, this requires the most time. Uh, they say in this article about two-thirds of the whole time is spent making these molds. Yeah, which makes sense. And it takes a few months. Again, is that arbitrary? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. This guy's like, probably just takes a couple <laughs> months. And then once you, once you have the molds, and you also have to make a decision when you're making the molds. Do you want to um, make the torso and the legs together? Is he going to move his arms? If so, you probably want to do two different molds for the arms. So there's a pretty decent amount of decision-making work that goes into just coming up with what molds you're going to make. And then once you make the molds, then, yes, you have to make the molds, you have to operate them, and then you have to decide what kind of, um, uh, what kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, where you actually make the plastic um, figure? Molding, <laughs> which I should have been able to come up with because we were talking about molds at the time. That's right. So there's different kinds. I looked up uh, one kind called rotational molding. Yeah. I guess that's what Star Wars was going to try at first, but they lost too much detail on the figure, so they went to, um, uh, I think, an injection molding process. But with rotational molding, you've got a mold, and it's on this computerized arm, and this arm just kind of spins around inside an oven, and inside the arm is like powdered plastic resin, and I guess it just melts it by kind of slowly spinning it around. I don't understand what the problem is, but I guess injection molding is far superior. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the deal with injection molding, uh, they, they pump it into two pieces, and then they apply pressure to those two pieces to mold them together while it cools and hardens. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I think what you get there is, which is why probably they wanted to use the rotational molding, is if you have those little Star Wars guys, or I imagine G.I. Joe, if they were injection molds, yeah. if, you, if you look at their body from the side, it's in two pieces, and sometimes you can see a little seam yeah, that's true. On their head or on their arm or something. Mm-hmm. Or probably not on their arm because those were separate. But, um, yeah, sometimes you could see the seam where the two halves were pressed together. Uh, they wanted that smooth look for the uh, for the ro- rotational molding that that provides. But, um, oh, yeah, is that... I guess the detail is the trade-off. So that's the that's the rotational molding. You don't have seams, but you lose fine detail. Yeah. With injection molding, you can get the detail, but... You, the, you can see the seams of where the two sides of the mold came together. I guess, but man, I mean, how bad could that detail have been? Because when you look at those early Star Wars figures, I mean, the detail <laughs> was not great. No. You know? But, like, had I been Mark Hamill, I would have been like, this is what you think my face looks like? Yeah, like they were, I mean, they've gotten way better. Like, the stuff they're making today is, is sure. amazing. But it's almost too good, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's some amazing stuff out there, but it's, that was one of the great things about these especially the three and three quarter inch guys they just they just they were they were meant to be played with they were meant to have imagination bestowed on them and little child's hands it's yeah not supposed to sit on your desk at work or something like that and just as adornment like they were meant to be played with and they were they were subtly downgraded from you know the the stuff that's out today <laughs> they were downgraded to an upgrade <laughs> yes like John Hodgman is literally screaming right now into his earbuds because we're nostalgic about something that was sorry john decidedly crappier sorry <laughs> but it's true though for me like i think that they were they were great Agreed. have i told you how i feel about the three and three quarter inch gi joes no we should talk about that some more <laughs> uh all right so you've got this mold now pressed together if it's injection and then you have to assemble it uh if you have the arms separately perhaps or um Basically, anything else that doesn't come on that original mold, you're going to have to assemble it together, uh, put all the little finishing details, maybe the clothing that you hate so much, um, maybe they're painted with a little more detail, that that detail that you hate so much, (laughs) (laughs) and all the things that make a better action figure that you hate so much. It's not that I hate it. It's it's just, I don't know. I get it. I'm not quite sure how to put it. I'm just teasing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, don't, it's, I don't hate it. I just really don't <laughs> like it. Uh, the final um, the final key to this whole thing is uh, packaging and shipping. So uh, you think big deal? What's the big deal with the package? But a lot, lot of thought goes into the packaging, like mm-hmm. you were talking about earlier with the the GI Joe actually advertising the other mm-hmm. dudes on the package. Right. But that classic cardboard backed uh, clear plastic um, casing. Mm-hmm. The shell, um, yeah, the shell that was sort of became the standard, and what everyone came to think of is an action figure package. Yeah, and and man, that was another thing that with the wave of GI Joes that I played with, that really put a lot of time and effort and thought into the packaging, um, and that I mean that was definitely part of it. That really helped sell the the action figures in a lot a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, like even though you look I at tore this, right into it, like I said, I, I disregarded the package. Well, with the later GI Joes, there was a card on the back that had like their code name, their yeah. specialty, their backstory, and like you'd clip them out and, and collect those as well. Like it was definitely part of it. I collected the Star Wars trading cards too. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I went back and got all my old cards not too long ago, and I didn't collect a ton of cards. I thought like, ooh, maybe there'll be some, you know, 
Ken Griffey rookie card in here right. worth five grand. And yeah. so uh, foolishly, I, I thought I had something of value, which I did not. Yeah. Um, but I went through and I had some weird cards that I don't even remember collecting. Like what? I had Welcome Back Cotter cards. No. Oh, yeah. That's twice that Welcome Back Cotter has made an appearance in this episode. <laughs> I was not expecting either one. I like I like the show a lot, but I don't remember buying these cards. I had Jaws, the movie <laughs> cards. Yeah. I had uh, lots of Star Wars cards. Mm-hmm. Um, some weird, like, I mean, I had football cards. I didn't even collect football cards, I didn't think. Yeah. I went through, I, I did the same thing you did. I got all the boxes of baseball cards from my dad's house, and I was like, I didn't, where did I get all these football cards? Yeah. And who even collects football cards, you know? It's untoward. It's weird, but the cool thing about the 70s cards is just the the look when you could, like, yeah. you know, you had to back the camera off so you could fit the afro into the card. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all these, like, great haircuts and hairdos that all these yeah. guys had back then. Yeah. It's pretty great. Why is he holding that fist aloft? Yeah. <laughs> And then, Chuck, after the packaging, it goes to the stores, and little kids like us buy it and love it. That's right. And that's the end of the manufacturing process. Wow. What a journey. Yeah, that was something. We went all the way to China and back. We did. I don't think we pointed that out. A lot of times, uh, the molding process is uh, in Asia, so that's one reason it takes so long. Right. Because so, they put them on slow boats. That's right. So you kind of teased this earlier. Um, the uh, you found a list of the rarest Star Wars figures. Yeah, and you know, I looked at other lists, and they listed different figures. So I don't know if that's something that changes a lot mm-hmm. as far as which ones are the most valuable. Because I literally saw at least two different ones that were described as the Holy Grail of oh, Star yeah. Wars figures. <laughs> yeah. So you know, there can't be more than one Holy Grail. No. So uh, knows that. I do look forward to hearing from those in the know, but instead of saying these are the most valuable, let's just say we'll talk about some that are pretty rare and fairly valuable. I think that was pretty smart. So no one holds us uh, our feet to the flame. Right. Yak Face. I had not heard of Yak Face, had you? No. So Yak Face was one of um, Boba Fett's either guards or mercenaries, but he worked for Boba Fett. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Star Wars people, stop, stop, stop your email. <laughs> he works for Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> He's not the same person. You just caused three car accidents. <laughs> <laughs> three Toyota Priuses just... <laughs> right. Liberty Mutual is going to be like, this Josh Clark, we've got to work him into our actuarial tables. Uh, yeah, so he was part of the power of the force line. Uh, he was canceled, and you, you'll find that here's a common thread here is rarity is what makes something valuable and something can be a garbage figure (laughs) and they don't make many of them and then it becomes valuable right and i think he wasn't necessarily a garbage figure he was just released at a time when like star wars figures sales in general were waning so they sent him over to europe and this thing says that he was never released in the states i saw that he was but it was in for a very brief time and a very limited run, and then they sent him to Europe, I think in 1985, where Return of the Jedi had just come out. So they were crazy for anything that had anything to do with Return of the Jedi. America was already like, who cares about Return of the Jedi? We're we're into uh, Temple of Doom. Oh, yeah. 
which I read an article about that recently. Supposedly, Temple of Doom was so dark because both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were going through breakups oh. at the time that they were writing and, and making it. So we said, what can we do here? Why don't, why don't he pull out his heart and eat it? <laughs> right. that's what I feel like. Because that's what <laughs> Tina did. Uh, all right. Weequay. Mm-hmm. So this is another of Jabba the Hutt's guards. Are you sure you didn't get those confused? I specifically went and looked up Yak Face. Okay. And he, he works for Jabba the Hutt. They even gave Jabba the Hutt's full name, and I, I just remember the Jabba part. Oh, he had more than that? Yeah, the hut was, he was a member of the huts, like the race of huts, or the tribe of huts, so it was gotcha. Jabba the Hut, like, you know, Chuck the American. Gotcha. Well, I think I'm on record as being, like, I'm a big Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. loved them, saw them many, many times, mm-hmm. collected the things, but then it ended. I'm not um, of the other half that really went down the rabbit hole. Like, oh, who are still, like, into it as much as before? Yeah, and even back then, like, new things like Jabba the Hutt's full name. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, Like, I didn't know, I never knew that stuff, I never read the books or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Ooh, I did have some of those comics, though. I remember that now. I never had the comics. I was aware of the books, and there was a lot of books, wasn't there? Yeah, they still write them, too, I think, don't they? Sure. Hey, if it's a good thing. Sure. Right? Is that good? I think so. <laughs> I think we assuage the people who are into the books. <laughs> All right, so Weequay is another guard. Apparently is not super rare, but there is a limited ed- uh, edition version that is worth more. So the, the carded mint condition Power of the Forest line in the 90s um, is worth a little bit more money. Right. It says $35? That's what it's worth? No, no, no. That's what the normal one's worth. Oh, okay. The one that has a special freeze frame slide, which I don't know what that is. Ah, gotcha. That one's worth 10 times that amount, according to this guy. All right. I remember the vinyl-caped Jawa was always worth a lot of money Mm -hmm. because they came out with a cloth cape. I know. It was creepy. Uh, So I'm going to throw that in there just off the top of my head. There was Um, also, I think, a vinyl-caped and a cloth-caped Imperial Guard. Remember the, the Emperor's red cloaked guards and I think Return of the Jedi, maybe Empire Strikes Back. I don't know. I'm afraid to say anything out loud now. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> let's just press stop. Uh, let's skip that next one and go straight to Boba Fett. How does that sound? Okay. Boba Fett, very famously, um, in 1979, there was uh, a Boba Fett that actually shot a missile, <laughs> which, as every parent knows, is a, a chokeable is the parent's worst nightmare? Is that is that the term? A yeah, chokeable? A chokeable, something you can choke on. Is that a real like parent's term? Yeah. That's awesome. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, supposedly anything smaller than a, uh, a the size of a toilet paper roll cir- uh, tube. What? Is a chokeable. Smaller than that. Yeah, so like if you can fit something through a toilet paper tube, huh. then your kid can choke on it. Gotcha. That's what they say. Who says that? I don't know. The Today Show? Dumb, dumb parenting blogs. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes sense, though. Yeah. Can't fit a, a football through that. Can't choke on a football. That's correct. The system works. You could choke on a tiny football, though. <laughs> I guess so. It's All right, chokeable. So the, uh, the, the chokeable Boba Fett, um, obviously they 
they said this is a choking hazard. So right. they scrapped the plans and redesigned it. And so uh, they did eventually release uh, the, the figure, but it had that. And I had this one, not the, the one that shot the rocket, because they never released that one, right? I specifically remember being in the same room with one that shot a rocket. Or you sure it wasn't hacked? Here's the other possible um, explanation. Uh, I saw it on an ad, and I'm confusing reality with television again. Because it says here they never release them in stores. I saw that too. But I'm like, I swear I saw one of these things. Or maybe we were just playing with it and we're like, this thing sucks. If it actually shot the missile, it'd be so much better. And I imagine what that would be like and then right. accidentally formed a memory. Who knows? I'm 40 years old now. I can't remember what was going on when I was seven or eight. <laughs> uh, as far as how valuable these things are, if you can get your hands on one, I mean, I've seen things all over the place. One was sold for $18,000 last year. Wow. Uh, but then it, I also saw one where supposedly a $100,000 offer at a Sotheby's auction was turned down. What? So I have no idea the value of these dudes, but it's, that, it's a lot of dough. Is that the Holy Grail one? Well, this is one of the Holy Grails. Do you remember what another Holy Grail you saw was? Yeah, the other one is is supposedly the most valuable, is the double telescoping lightsaber for uh, for Obi-Wan, Darth Vader, and Luke. And I think Luke's is the, the most expensive. Um, if you remember the little... Did you have any of these? I had a couple. So the, the, the lightsaber guys had a uh, thing on the bottom of their arm, mm-hmm. a little groove cut out, with a little, uh, a little, you know, plastic uh, knob that you would uh, shove up toward the wrist, and a mm-hmm. lightsaber would come out of the hand. Yeah, as if it were turning on. Right. The double telescoping, because that's a <laughs> telescoping feature. Right. A double telescoping. Yeah. Means that you could extend it even further out from the original telescope. Right. And those supposedly are super rare and uh, worth a lot of dough. So that one I saw actually online. Um, oh man, I can't remember the site, but it was it's a it's gr- it's a great Star Wars action figure site, um, and they had a picture of it. Have you seen it? Yeah, I thought I had one, but uh, I can't find it, so I it's, don't think I do. Like the the regular lightsaber that they had was just fine, but then the double telescoping part was just like this extra thinner. Mm-hmm. pointy piece of plastic that hung down at like a weird angle it didn't keep going straight yeah they always kind of bent and it looked just it looked broken <laughs> you know yeah but even if i did have one it, it's well worn so it's not like i mean i think all of these things it's always like mint condition in the package it's worth yeah. this don't even talk to me if it's not mint yeah that's the that's the slogan so I would love some of this cleared up by experts. Um, oh, we'll, we'll hear from them. The Boba Fett matter. Yeah, I don't even know why I'm asking. <laughs> the Boba Fett matter, The like which one is truly the Holy Grail? Uh, what happened with the Kenner, uh, or not Kenner, the Mego Star Wars deal? Right. And did, did Lee Harvey Oswald act alone? Yes. We need answers, people. You got anything else? I got nothing else. This is a, a big overview. There's clearly many more stories to be told. I got a couple couple more. I just want to give shouts out. All right. Yojo.com. Okay. If you were into G.I. Joe's and you want to feel nostalgic, uh, go check that site out. It's amazing. Um, and then I created a gallery a few years ago 
called Hilarious Knockoffs and oh, Bootlegs yeah. of Beloved Toys. Oh, that was great. And it's just like this slideshow of toys from around the world that are, it's pretty obvious what they're supposed to be, but they're not. Like the name's just a little off or... Yeah. Um, they, uh, they've, they've tried to come up with a new brand altogether, but it's just some cheap version of something great. So go check that out too. It's kind of cool. Yeah. It was fun to put together. I bet. And that's, that's it, man. That's all I got. Go watch the GI Joe PSAs by Eric Fensler again. They still hold up. Oh yeah. You remember those? Mm, no. Where it was like a, like just a weird dubs of those GI Joe PSAs. Like now, you know, annoying is half the battle. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't seen these? Mm, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I'll send them to you. You're going to die laughing. Good. Yeah, you'll love them. You've been trying what? to kill me for years. That's a delightful <laughs> way to do it. But this time, I won't be wearing gloves coming at your neck. <laughs> uh, I, that's it for me, man. Yeah, that's it for me. Okay, well, if you want to know more about um, action figures, you can type those words into the search bar of your favorite um, search engine. Since I said search engine and didn't do any buzz marketing, it's time for listener mail. Uh, we're going to plug Kiva, which we haven't done in a long time. That's a good idea. K-I-V-A uh, is a micro lending website that we have been, uh, we've had a team now, the Stuff You Should Know team for, geez, how many years? Six or seven? I think it was 2008 or two, 2009. Eight maybe. years? Seven or yeah, eight years? Wow. It's been a while. All right. So this is from Jordan, and then I'm going to go over a little bit more about uh, how our team is looking. Uh, hey guys, once I listened to a podcast where you promoted Kiva, I decided to Google the Kiva donation thing and eventually found it correctly as KIVA.com. I immediately love the site. It's the epitome of how to take the globalized world and use that for good. Uh, so often donations come in the form of awkward late night infomercials or five second quips at the grocery line where you begrudgingly make an enemy out of the 17 year old clerk for saying, no, I don't want to give a dollar to needy children. <laughs> uh, while all types of donations are generally good, Kiva makes you feel it, uh, even more personal. And once uh, one can certainly give their money to needs that are important to them. Uh, you probably get your money back, which is great, but no way did that motivate me to loan. And I suspect to most people who use Kiva would also be happy to have their money go to those in need without getting a return. However, if I do decide to receive my money back, I will certainly use those funds to circulate that Kiva site Again, yeah. In other words, reloan. That's one of the keys. Uh, I think I'm feeling preachy now for writing you an email on the basis that I just loaned what amounts to a small amount of cash. But I just want to thank you guys for sharing that site and allowing people like myself to make their lives better. That's from Jordan uh, Bachelor, uh, who claims to be a U.S. defector. <laughs> he, he moved from the U.S. I can't remember where he lives now. Oh. He was I just being mean. cheeky. I gotcha. So we started this Kiva team a long time ago. And um, right now we have over 9,000 members. Mm -hmm. And we are almost at 4 million bucks, dude. <laughs> that is insane. $3,993,325 loaned. That is 143,155 loans. Man. An average of 16 loans per member. Mm -hmm. And just to give you an idea of how it works, you donate money. You will most likely get paid back, and then they say you can check out and take your money back, or you can roll that into another loan. For sure. Uh, I started off with a couple of hundred bucks mm -hmm. way back when, and that now, just because I keep reinvesting it, mm -hmm. uh, has grown to $1,125 Wow. 47 loans, and my default rate is only 4%. 
Nice. Yeah, the default rate is not bad at all. It's not bad. So you can take a little bit, you can take $25 even yep. and keep reloaning that. And that in a few years, five or six years can be, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars reloaned to people. Right. Um, really makes a big difference. We did our research on Kiva. Yeah. They're, they're not perfect, but we think they do a really good job. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, we have a Stuff You Should Know team, so we would love to see people sign up for it. Push us over that four million dollar mark, mm-hmm. which is crazy. And yeah, uh, yeah, we're not exclusive. We're not snobs, and neither no. is anybody on our team. It's a very, very welcoming group of people who are really active on the board. Um, they're uh, led unofficially, but de facto, by Glenn and Sonia, yep. who have emerged to be these, these great team leaders that like just keep everybody going and motivated and moderate and make sure everybody's on the up and up. And Yep, they send us emails and <laughs> yep. reminders about how we're doing. Hats off to those guys. Thank you guys for that. Yeah, so kiva.org, I think I said .com earlier, um, and just go to the team section, search stuff you should know, join the team, throw $25 somebody's way, you can... Yep. You can give to people that uh, are doing things that are close to your heart or maybe countries you've been to that you want to help support. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can give to women or men, and it's just a really you can really dial down and give very specifically how you want to give. Yeah, and uh, if you want to know even more about it, you can go listen to our episode on micro-lending. And you can, I've, we've written a couple of blog posts on it, and I think there's something on HuffPo even that they published of ours, but it's, um, I think, like, why we land on Kiva. Yeah. And it really addresses a lot of stuff that people have raised, and we've said, hey, man, it's still totally worth it. So, yep. Yeah, go check it out. All right. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web. StuffYouShouldKnow.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. 
Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you for a second here about Canva, specifically Canva presentations that are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation. So start designing today at Canva.com. Designed for work. Just go to Canva, C-A-N-V-A dot com.